Hello and welcome back to the Morbid Museum. We are your hosts, Katie Mead and Luke Boyd. How's it going, Luke? Hey, it's going good, Katie. I'm still recovering from Rasputin. <laughs> I think we all are. <laughs> <laughs> what an amazing journey that was. Oh, I have a Rasputin hangover. <laughs> <laughs> We're still computing Rasputin. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot to there's a lot to unpack still. There is. Um, but we must move on and move on to a very different topic, but one that is also completely fascinating. It is. It is, you know, it is morbid and macabre, but it is not in the same way that we might think of some of these other topics. Yeah. It's a little more metacognitive, a little a little different. Um yeah. Well, I think it definitely fits the bill. And when mm -hmm. we're talking about putting the subject on the old Google Doc sort of planning <laughs> document, it was like, of course, this has to this has to be. So today, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be discussing the complicated ongoing history of a little known aspect of New York City called Dead Horse Bay. Sigh. <sighs> Poor Dead Horse Bay. <laughs> the name the name implies volumes. Um, and <laughs> it says a lot right up front. It says a lot, and we hope we hooked you with the title. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be talking about a small body of water that is in southern Brooklyn. So it's a small inlet off of an area of New York City called Barren Island, and it's between Gerritsen Inlet and Rockaway Inlet in Brooklyn. Dead Horse Bay is the modern name for this special place in New York City that not many people know about. It's a buried, not so buried secret, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> the Lenape people have lived in New York for thousands of years. And in this part of Long Island, everything, Brooklyn, Queens, Long Island itself is all part of one same island. The Canarsie people are those who lived in this area. They called the archipelago of barrier islands in the Jamaica Bay. They called it Equendito or Equandito, which means broken lands. Mm. How do they how do they spell that, Luke? Equendito, it's E-Q-E-N-D-I-T-O. Because I immediately thought of equine. Yeah, horse. I, I, I did too. It's That's really so interesting. Funny. Isn't yeah. it interesting? Right. It, it, and it almost sounds like Spanish. Um, and it's Yeah, it does. Actually. It's, it's from like the Muncie dialect. And it's oh, yeah. really fascinating. So, you know, and you have the Rockaway people who would have been right next door. So the right. Canarsie people. And of course, all the, the names of these places in New York, when they when people be ripped from their lands, the best we could do is just rename the land after the, the former inhabitants. So <laughs> you're well. Welcome. So God. kind of a terrible history. <laughs> What's interesting about Barren Island, of course, I thought it was called Barren Island because she barren. There's nothing much going on there. <laughs> ain't, no, ain't nothing there. It's just a big pile of sand. Well, it turns out, <laughs> turns out that the Dutch may have called it Barren Island, which, island. which meant Bears Island. Oh, I don't want to go to that which island. <laughs> maybe you do if you're at Puerto Vallarta, okay, and you want to... <laughs> I'm at Twink Island. I'm going to Bear Island. <laughs> going to Cub Island. Going to S and M Island. Isn't that just? Isn't all of that just Fire Island? <laughs> <laughs> that is a different story altogether. Okay, we'll come so, back to that. But apparently, from what I've read, again, when you think of bears, is it shaped like a bear? Were there bears yeah. there? If it's a barren island. A barrier island. I'm getting confused already. How could <laughs> how could there be bears living there? So apparently there were no bears there. 
It, it, for some oh. reason, for some reason, the name just stuck. A small community actually lived on the island for for hundreds of years. A couple of New Yorkers who didn't really mind uh, not having a road or a bridge connect them to the rest of New York City. People who maybe didn't want to be found. Let's put it that way. Real, real Collier types. <laughs> real Collier types, off the grid types. The Colliers would have loved Dead Horse Bay for so oh, many yeah. reasons had they lived to see the treasures within. Um, many of those things I'm sure that ended up in Dead Horse Bay were in the Collier's mansion. <laughs> I'm sure they're tied somehow. <laughs> and we should say that this is near Marine Park, which is where, Katie, where you're from in Brooklyn. Yes, born and raised. Dead Horse Bay was a, a field trip uh, I'm so for jealous. many a child from Marine Park. Um, I'm actually curious because to me, it's such an obscure place. How did it get on your radar? Well, I am a sort of... I always have my ear ear to the ground. Actually, you know what? It was probably Kevin Walsh's book, Forgotten New York, that oh, led me to it. Um, okay. Kevin Walsh, amazing urban explorer who wrote this compendium of forgotten places. But, you know, there's sort of a great marketplace for forgotten stuff now. Um, if you go to Atlas Obscura, there's a wonderful Dead Horse Bay entry. If you Google Dead Horse Bay, there's a really good 17-minute uh, ABC News little documentary that oh. really does a great job of synthesizing all of this. In the 19th century, there's a wonderful tidbit that I have to share here. So in 1830... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing because once again, <laughs> we're in the 1800s. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, is there something going on between 1820 and 1900? <laughs> Nothing happened prior. There's a great legend that pirate by the name of Charles Gibbs, who was a big old baddie. He was from Newport, <laughs> Rhode Island. Uh, Mr. Charles Gibbs was finally apprehended by the forces of the U.S. government in the 1830s. But before he was captured... Allegedly, he buried a shit ton of Mexican silver on Barren Island. What? Yes, miss. Can you believe? And apparently, apparently, some of the treasure has been found. No. I mean, it was probably found within a couple decades of being buried. The... The resources are a little shadowy on this. Um, Does any exist currently today? Not, not that I'm aware of. It could. It could. Um, okay. It could, there could be some places we could point to. He's captured in 1830, 1831, and he's being held in Manhattan. But then he mm. is hanged for his crimes, and he's hanged at an island where there was many a gibbet, Ellis Island. So let's let's set the scene for garbage. In <laughs> In the 19th century, this actually picked up really well where we talked about London stinks, mm. about refuse. You know, when we yeah. have a, when we have a city, we have a lot of people and we have to move those people from place to place. And with all sorts of city pursuits, whether they be industrial, transportation or otherwise, there's a lot of refuse left over. And so in the 19th century, the umbrella term for all of this stuff was called the noxious trades. Oh, my God. <laughs> Noxious trades, one parts one through five. Oh my god! Dirty jobs. Yeah, for real. <laughs> I can smell that phrase. Yes. So Barren Island is like city planners are like hovering over the city, and they're like, "Wait, wait, wait! We got this great place oh. over here where there's no people, really, where we can just do a bunch of stinky, gross stuff, and no one will be any the wiser." So uh -huh. a a series of noxious trades set up shop. At Barren Island, there were fish rendering plants. 
great start. So how does one render a fish? Well, you're breaking down leftover fish parts to make items such as uh, fish oil. Fish oil was yeah. was a big one. And apparently the, the big fish responsible for this was the Menhaden, which I had not heard of, or the Menhaden I don't know fish. that fish, no. Yeah, I think they're kind of wiped out now by pollution and overfishing. Um, but they were <laughs> really hot in the... From being overly rendered? <laughs> yeah, they've been rendered into extinction. They're now endangered. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, Menhaden? Baden, Baden? <laughs> My brain's going crazy places. Aladdin? Aladdin, Menhaden, Menhaden. So... When we are traveling in the 19th century, we are using our feet skis, we're walking, or we are using a horse-bound conveyance. Sure. So a carriage, an omnibus, you think of a pack of Clydesdales towing something heavy across a bridge. So horses are the, the main way of getting around. And the mm -hmm. horse is God's gift in terms of going into battle and having your horse shot from under you or traveling across a city and a, a horse takes you there. Horses are incredible. But what happens when the horse dies? You are left with you are left with a massive a gigantic carcass. A gigantic piece of garbage that you have to take care of. How dare you? That was someone's <laughs> beloved pet. Yes, I'm sure that Slash horse needs of conveyance. I'm sure that horse had friends and feelings, yes. So, but it's a huge public health and sanitation issue. The point you're getting to is what do you do with them? What do you die? Do? What do you do with them? So in addition to fish rendering, it is now decided that horse processing will be dealt with at Barren Island. So a series of horse carcass processing plants are built in the outer reaches of Brooklyn to handle this issue. And they think, well, we figured it out, everybody. <laughs> Got a place for all the horsies to go. That was relatively easy. I can't see there being any problems. No, no long-term issues. No uh, history of dumping that would be uh, created by this. No, no, so, no. My no. question, Luke, yeah. is how did they transport them there? Mm. <gasps> did they make other horses pull them there? <laughs> Can you imagine being that <gasps> that horse that just pulls the other horses? Ugh. Oh, that poor horse. Yeah, I'm betting they had a sort of, I know they had a lot of barges that came later on. Mm. So I imagine some aquatic transport would have been easy because if you can just get it off like the street, off a yeah, pier. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, they're coming in from wherever. And I know the island was hard to get to, so it was probably a lot of boat action. Must have been, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot of boat, dead boat barges. Oof. Those Where are they at? Barges. Ooh. Disgusting. Disgusting. Um, so these plants and factories, they are making, of course, as the joke implies, glue is a major byproduct of Ooh. dead horses. Um, also things like buttons. That Horse I had, buttons? That I had never heard of that before. Like, Huh. <laughs> are you going to talk to us about the process of rendering that oh, occurs? No. Not really. Okay. <laughs> No. God, no. <laughs> God. Details? God, no. Not interested. <laughs> That's not why we're here. It's okay. I just wrote a doctorate thesis on rescue. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what I can tell you, and I think this sort of um, says it all, there is still grindstones that can be found in the uh. area of Barren Island on various trails. And those were grindstones that were mainly purposed to grind horse bone bone yeah Ooh, that's eerie yeah so you're you're breaking down 
the carcass into salvageable elements. And so you have tissues, you have bones, organs I'm sure are discarded, and eventually the, the bones create this dust or this powder that can be made into various glues, you know? Sure, yeah. All kinds of things. Um, and I can talk a little bit more about some of the other products that would be made from things like this. Oh, um, I'd love to know. <laughs> <laughs> so from 1859 until 1934, the heyday of Stinky Barren Island, 26 different industries opened across 26? the island. Six? Yeah. And they talk about like when there's a flood or a hurricane like hits one of the one of the factories. Oh, 16 buildings were destroyed. 16 buildings. Just to, casually. 16 to buildings. render horse bits. That's crazy. Yeah. So I don't have much in terms of the details of the horse rendering process, but I can tell you that 20,000 horse corpses were processed every single year. Oh, my God. That is a lot of animal energy. And I'm sure that's just a small fraction of the amount of horses that were in action just popping around the city and all their poop. Um, yeah. So it's really fascinating because we live in the, the age of the automobile. And so it's impossible really for us to, to understand the, the issue that this was, but the, the sheer necessity of, of having horses. So because of the stink and in fact, there was a incinerating chimney at the plant right. that would often get, get clogged up. Um, and it would sort of like belch out a lot of disgusting smoke and it would just get all backed up. The area Ugh. became quickly known as Dead Horse Bay. Yay. <laughs> so like we were saying a few weeks ago, you know, the general public will will call it like it is. They'll, you, Bear an yeah. Island, Bears Island. No, no, no. This is Dead Horse Bay. That's what it is. That's how you know where you're yeah. at. Dead this Horse. is our great stink. This is our. This is our great stench. Yeah. Um, so the process goes on, and the 19th century rolls on, the Gilded Age, the Victorian Age, and horses are still running the show. In, yeah. 18, in 1896, the New York Sanitary Utilization Company opens a garbage incinerator on Barren Island. Game so, changer. Game changer, y'all. And so what they're doing is they're burning trash, and now you're breaking down that trash into raw sort of material that you can use to make things like soap, grease, and more and more fertilizer. <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, I, in a, my living history work that I do, we make soap as a living history practice, and the key ingredient in soap, the key ingredients are lye and lard, animal yeah. fat and a little bit of water so and when you use it uh when you wash your hands with it it's a pretty good soap but then after you rinse it off first it leaves like a viscous on your hands almost like your hands are covered in a membrane and it really stinks it stinks of it fat. smells right it yeah. smells and um it just goes to show again it's like you know our sort of uh co-marriage of cleanliness and scent is sort of i think a newer phenomenon like one could be clean or fresh but one might still stink because you're covered in you know, right. Animal fat. <laughs> it's better than just straight up body odor, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Well, degrees of rancid, truly. Um, <laughs> whereas, whereas my whole house today smells like a Mrs. Myers commercial. You know, that's how I that's how I like it. This is my lavender room. This is my daisy room. This is peony. It's all peony. I love my cleaners. Oh, you um, never would have made it a day in the Victorian age. <laughs> no, no, no. I think about that every time I, I slip into costume. Stinky boy. Um, <laughs> through it all. Barren Island is basically a dump. It's collecting discarded waste from Brooklyn, Manhattan, and the Bronx. Queens and Staten Island 
lovely boroughs that they are have their own disposal facilities. So we're really just focusing on Brooklyn, Manhattan, and the Bronx. And but what that's a lot. It's still a shit ton. Yeah. And you're talking about millions of people. And so what happens is the New York Sanitary uh, Utilization Company begins to just start chucking trash right off the island into the bay. Excellent. Just starts throwing it, right? Perfect. Just throws in, glug, glug, glug. No one, no one cares. Love to um, see it. So thousands of glass bottles, that's probably the key ingredient of the human refuse that's here in Dead Horse Bay, um, are just tossed into the water. And there are landfills on the island, two landfills, and they just swell from trash from the city. And at this time, late 1800s, the population of Barren Island is still going. Like they have a thousand people living there now. Are you shitting me? No, there was- Who the fuck lived there and why? Dude, I think people who just wanted to kind of live an alternative life or really just had a hard time. <laughs> I just, I listen, something about the smell of burning animal flesh just does it for me. I don't yeah. know why. <laughs> There's something very Dickensian, like Hugo, like um, Victor Hugo, Les Mis. It's people who, and people are, because they're people who are working at these places. There's, there's like a service sector that's serving these companies. It's so funny. I just assumed that no one would want to live there and you would commute there to go to work. But I guess it is so hard to get there. It's easier to just live there. Yes. So they have their own schools. Ugh. Kids live there. They have their own. No. <laughs> they have their own police department. They had like a main street. They had like every, you know, it's like, are you, which side, what side of the stink are you on? I'm on bottle side. I'm on horse side. <laughs> oh, mommy, look, the dead horse barge is coming in. Let's run over and see. We're going to eat great this week. <laughs> Not eat the horses, but because I can't. I know. Uh, <laughs> Students were often dismissed from school early so they could help their parents scavenge for valuable trash on the island. Oh, little pickers. Yeah, little, little tinkers. And yeah. there was a caste system, striations of Are you me? garbage pickers. Yes, miss. I am, I'm not kidding society. you. It is a little society. So at the bottom, you have your rag pickers. Oh, I know these terms. They actually talk <laughs> about this stuff in um, the book I read about cholera. Because mm, they had mm. a, a lot of this stuff is comes from England also. So I absolutely this is, this is super cool. Okay. You're right. Lots of overlap. Yeah. So rag pickers at the bottom. So if you're lucky, yeah. you could be a rag picker like your father. Um, <laughs> <laughs> next up are metal and paper scavengers, which means you probably have maybe some experience in a trade or you can read and determine the value of paper. You think you're better than everyone else? <laughs> you can read the newspaper from 10 years ago. Thank you. <laughs> Give it to the Colliers. Um, and at the top of the heap, ladies and gentlemen, are bone sorters. Yeah. Yeah. That's if the you good can, stuff. If you can differentiate a human bone from a dog bone, from a horse bone, you were at the top of the heap. So throughout the years, the garbage incineration is really what's pissing off everybody around Barren Island. There's a perennial complaint about the smell. What are you going to do about the smell, Mayor So-and-so? Well, there's a... <laughs> didn't bother looking up the mayor. Oh, mayor who's he what's it? I got one, yeah. Mayor Jehoshaphat. Um, <laughs> so in the 19-teens, a very short-lived mayorship, Mayor Mitchell, he's like, hey, I got an answer here. All right, I got an answer, y'all. We're going to make a new landfill, and we're going to put it in a place where no one really cares on Staten Island. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, we've come full circle. <laughs> uh, so he's the one who picks the fresh kills landfill spot. He's the one who decided to turn Staten Island into a dump. That's right. That's wow. right. That's right. And then Mayor Highland comes in. He this Mayor Mitchell loses his next election. Mayor Highland comes in and pauses the Fresh Kills landfill project because mm. of the complaints of Staten Islanders. Staten Islanders are really not having this Fresh Kills landfill concept. They want to keep their island pure, pristine, agrarian, beautiful. Wah, wah. <laughs> they lost. Um, yeah, yeah. So- <laughs> Uh, so the dumping continues. Fresh kills does go on because we we just need to create more dumps, um, dumps on dumps on dumps. And- <laughs> I never want to hear you say that again. <laughs> again. I'm just appealing to your. Uh, How dare you! Don't drag eagle. me. Into this. <laughs> never gonna forgive you. Um, so so the dumping goes on. It just continues after Mitchell's defeat. But now we're in the 1910s. Langley Collier is about to inherit a Model T Ford. We got cars coming yeah. in and the automobile industry completely supplants and replaces the uh, horse drawn life of America and of the world in a few short years, about 10, 15, 20 years, horse transportation is completely gone out and reduced to so many fancy buggies around Central Park. Yeah. You know? So this is the change. And this change is so ironic because it is sort of deep seated in the transformation of Dead Horse Bay and Barren Island itself. The last horse processing plant closes in 1921 because now they're down to a couple of hundred, couple maybe a couple thousand horses a year, far sure. less than their need years ago with 20,000. And the last garbage facility on Barren Island closes in 1935. Aha. Uh-huh. So a new dawn is 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 coming for Barren Island. But uh, the future is is fraught, dangerously fraught. In 1926, the salt mark was pumped with sand from Jamaica Bay. They're creating all this new land. It turns Barren Island into a peninsula, connecting it now to the rest of Brooklyn. Uh, right. Eventually, bridges would be built. The Gil Hodges Bridge over to, uh, to Rockaway is built. And we see Floyd Bennett Field is developed. That's the, re- that's the greatest thing that comes out of this, is the first municipal airport is built on Barren Island with all of this new acreage that is created by building up the level of the island. The, the level of the island raises about 16 feet, so it never sinks under the ocean anymore. It never has this problem of being a barrier island. It is now sort of fully integrated into the city landscape and it's connected with bridges and streets flatbush avenue extends there's all this desire to really develop marine park um, and so all of these things kind of look like well now barren island's on the map you know a lot of great aviation history takes place at floyd bennett field it's really a historic airport it's not really functioning now it's part of the national park service also historically i went there for my one of my father's company picnics and hid in a bathroom when there was a magician there because he just really, really scared me. <laughs> <laughs> this moment in history. He, he made you disappear real quick. Oh, yeah. No, uh, no, no, no. I had to go. <laughs> that's a that's a core memory. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. At Floyd Bennett coming home in tears. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now enter a transformative villainous character in the history of New York City. Someone we may have talked touched on a little bit when we talked about Cropsyland. Enter Robert Moses. Boo. Boo his boo. Robert Moses is, if you don't know, one of the most powerful unelected officials in the history of the United States. Robert Moses is a bureaucratic wizard. 
He's a guy mm -hmm. who gets connected to people like Fiero LaGuardia, to President uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the 1920s and 30s. He is behind improving the city of New York. He's an urban planner. He believes in a certain kind of urbanism. He has a vision for the future of the city that many today fault him for. When he was going, when he was going, really rocking from the 1930s to the 1960s, he was a hero. A hero who was shaping New York in the image of the 20th and 21st centuries. Now, when he was alive, when he was supporting vast improvement projects, he, there were enemies. And if you're a, a scholar or a thinker of New York history, the name Jane Jacobs comes to mind. A, a woman who lived in the West Village who railed against Robert Moses's many dreams for slicing and dicing New York with all kinds of new bridges and highways. In the 1950s, Robert Moses expands Barren Island to the west using garbage covered in topsoil. <sighs> <laughs> Let's develop this island first. We need a firm foundation of trash, and then dirt <laughs> on top of trash, and then a condo. <laughs> it really, this is one of those moments where, like, as a New Yorker, people think of you as trash it's like god damn it <laughs> <laughs> so this is in the 1950s a very specific time in robert moses's life we talked about the triborough bridge before that's the first real bridge project that robert moses was a part of mm -hmm. and they intended to have the toll booths up for a year or two until the bridge got paid for and then the tolls would, <laughs> tolls would go away and then they saw the money coming in they were like yeah we're good we got a revenue stream bitch hang on a second <laughs> hold up exactly <laughs> That is that's what propels him into power. And he's keen to shaping the transportation needs of the metropolis. No longer do the horses rule the streets, but the automobile does. But the automobile has all these needs. You need a lot of road. You need yep. a lot of flat surfaces. You don't want to deal with local traffic. So he builds these parkways, like the Meadowbrook Parkway mm -hmm. in New York and others, and they become very famous, the first divided highways in the world, and they're vastly improving traffic and all these kinds of things. So he's, with all the success of these projects, he's getting more and more power and influence. What he did with his sweeping influence, he was able to destroy neighborhoods with a dash of his pen. Basically, yep. So he would try to build something, let's say a bridge, an expressway, something that would improve an approach through a borough. And he would make a couple of X's through an area. And he would sort of choose an area that was usually low socioeconomic status, usually very ethnically diverse. Mm -hmm. um, and they'd be labeled a slum. And they would clear the slum, or they called it slum clearance. And so these slums would be cleared out to make room for new developments. And so we call this process urban renewal, but yeah. Katie and I know that's a bad term today. Yes. In the 1950s and 60s, urban renewal was a necessary evil, taking things by eminent domain, removing people to make a new place. If you ever have gone to Lincoln Center, you are standing on top of the essential, the grave of a beautiful Spanish community that once existed there. Yeah. But because it was poor, it was deemed irrelevant. And so it was able to be cleared to make a project that was greater for the greater good. So yeah. that's all. I mean, the entirety of New York City is a lot of stuff like that. I mean, eminent domain is terrible. We know very well that that was part of the, the World Trade Center story, mm -hmm. that it was Radio Row. Yeah. Which was this cool 
place with all these little shops and stuff that that's right got taken out seneca village which we should probably talk about on this podcast at some point is another awful example yeah and that that made way for central park so it's like you know it's easy for us now to be like oh but these things are so great but man that it comes at a cost it does um let me just read to you some of the positions that robert moses held during this time period he probably had about 13 or 25 different positions in government <laughs> he but during so much he was I'm such not, an asshole not prepared to talk about him tonight. Like, unbelievable no he's the worst and so during this time during the 1950s and 60s he is new york city departments of parks commissioner commissioner of all parks which is all a great parks. gig great yep. gig triborough bridge and tunnel authority because that's where the money comes in Oh, yeah. He's the New York City Planning Commissioner, and he's the New York State Power Chairman. Uh-huh, sure. The power broker, literally and figuratively. Mm-hmm. Um, great book by Robert Cairo. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the 1950s in particular, and it's important that we're focusing on this, because there are several construction projects that directly relate to the history of Barron Island and Dead Horse Bay. So the Brooklyn-Queens Expressway. The Cross Bronx <laughs> Expressway, one of the big baddies. Oh, yeah. Um, and the Staten Island Expressway are all being built during this time. And the BQE is this massive highway project that slices through Brooklyn, is hovering over Brooklyn, going through Brooklyn, displacing everyone below. If you live on yeah. one side of these sort of scary cave like overhangs, that side of the neighborhood becomes depressed, whereas the other side is where everybody keep, continues to live. Yep, um, they're fine. They're fine. So these are a couple of examples. Now, when the Cross Bronx Expressway was built, over 5,000 families were forced from their homes to allow for the creation of this highway. And when disgusting. When one zips through the Cross Bronx, or you're stuck in traffic on the Cross Bronx, which is much worse, you're in this trench. And you're looking at, every highway in America is like this. You're looking at street on either side. And you know that that bridge or where there once was a street represents a destroyed apartment building, a destroyed restaurant, a destroyed third place, a library, all kinds of amenities, cultural places are literally excised out surgically. And what this does is it creates these zones where crime, poverty are all related to your access or what side of the highway are you on. And this these areas are still trying to survive and trying to cope with the trauma of the removal of these people. Yeah. And then the result of what happens when these places are really sliced up very traumatically. 5,000 families just to create a portion of the Cross Bronx Expressway. So we're talking about thousands of families from all walks of life, mostly in the lower socioeconomic statuses, everyday ordinary ordinary people. And there might be a hearing or two. There might be a vote. But by and large, these people, like in Radio Row and Little Syria, had no chance, had no recourse. Um, The modern arguments by eminent domain that have really sort of tipped the scales in in favor of homeowners didn't really happen during this time. It's very imperious government taking. Um, And so what happens is people have so many days to leave. They might get pittance in terms of money to relocate or to take themselves to another place. That's so the it, thing is like it's not <laughs> it's not like they're going to take care of you when they kick you out. No. It's like you have to go. And here's like, you know, <laughs> a dollar and a wish wish you well and on your way. Like it's Basically. not. And, and also it's like, but I lived here and I was born here and my family's all here and you're just 
you're literally dividing families apart as well. It's impossible to think about. And it's so heartbreaking. And so yeah. people had to leave and they probably didn't take everything with them. So these buildings that get demolished are filled with stuff. And so this is the stuff that goes into Barren Island. This massive garbage <sighs> land is filled with the stories, the human energy of the unfortunate victims of Robert Moses's urban renewal projects. It's it's just it's full sad. of bad juju. <laughs> It's yeah. Bad, bad energy. Yeah. So the western side of the island becomes this graveyard for the dead neighborhoods that were erased by Moses, where once the city's transportation waste was turned into industrial goods. Now the victims of car culture's lives were buried to make new land for this city. Problem, problem. Mm -hmm. the, the landfill was never properly capped. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Love to hear that. <laughs> Uh-oh. Now, I'm not a sanitation professional, but that doesn't sound good. So ever since this happened, ever since the 1950s dumping occurred along Barren Island, the landfill has slowly and surely been sliced open by the waters of Dead Horse Bay. Oh. So what happens is you have high tide. The water comes in. It licks at the landfill. It loosens the dirt. And the reed and all the plant life there that's clutching onto the trash on which it is built. And slowly that trash, that debris, gets deposited all along the beach of Dead Horse Bay. So disgusting. It is disgusting. It is haunting. It's awful. So now the beachhead of Dead Horse Bay is referred to as Glass Bottle Beach. Yep. Aff affectionately. <laughs> And Katie, do you remember going to Glass Bottle Beach? I do. Yeah. It's exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, who who just drove this dumpster along this beach and just didn't close it? Yeah. And I think, you know, as a young kid, you're going there and like, all you can think is, wow, people just littered this beach and like not understanding right. that this is on the city for not planning appropriately. This isn't like individuals making bad choices. Right. No, it's a it's an ecological negligent decision. Yeah. That that was presided over by very powerful and very learned people who should have known better and were foolish to think that this would just go unnoticed. Well, that's the thing is, and again, this takes us back to our London series, is how long can you really plead ignorance? Or, mm -hmm. you know, I I I just don't buy it. I, I assume it all comes down to money because I feel like that's always the answer, right? Yeah, I think there were great plans to develop Barren Island. And, you know, many of Moses's projects never started. He got a lot of them done, but a lot of them never got off the ground. There are so many amazing things one can find if you go to Dead Horse Bay, if you go to Glass Bottle Beach. When you're at low tide or when the water is receding, all that leftover trash leaves all these glass bottles, thousands of beautifully colored glass bottles. A shocking number of them are completely whole. Um, and the waters of, of the inlet sort of lap up against the, the, the glass and they make this tinkling like, you know, little musical sound, almost like a wind chime. And it would be really beautiful if it wasn't so tragic in terms of it being a, a litter and trash problem. Yeah. Um, 
among the things that are often found are so many bottles. Uh, first of all, the people who go into the into the beach are often called mudlarkers, <laughs> which I just love. And so you got mudlarkers, pick pickers, artists, urban explorers, all kinds of weirdos like me going to day <laughs> and a lot, of, a lot of students. And so there are several cars that are still there at Dead Horse Bay in various states of decrepitude. There are several boats, most likely from the last part of the 20th century, that are still there. You can find all these bottles. You can find silverware. You can find silverware there, and it still has the maker's mark on it. One guy I saw online found a, a piece of silverware from Hard Horn and Hard Art, which was an automat company. Wow. Which, I know. Isn't that cool? That's um, crazy. So the automats were this like automated food service system in 1950s America, and it was the poor man's meal. It was where you'd go to get like a dollar fifty, you know, meal for yourself. You'd get a little conveyor would come out, mm -hmm. and you would just take a little meal. Uh, the the automat. So you can also see all kinds of things like shoes, which I think is the most morbid part of this because we think yeah. about things like the Holocaust Museum and you see a pile of shoes. In the context of that, we talk about genocide and murder and what people have left behind before they're killed. You, you see a similar eerie landscape like that. So it's almost post-apocalyptic. It's like Planet of the Apes. It's like this is the, the society that was buried by the nuclear fallout. Um, yeah. And it's all so specific. It's all 1950s. That's so, the thing, too, I was going to say is it's not like it's, you know, oh, there's a pair of Adidas. Why <laughs> 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 don't want them on the beach? It's, yeah. you know, leather loafers yeah. circa 1958. The kind of stuff that can survive that, that kind of time. Sure, yeah. And yeah, so it's got like these moments of like the Titanic, you know, when you think yeah. about things strewn on the ocean floor. It evokes these eerie, morbid, macabre moments um, in terms of the things people leave behind in the context that we assigned to them. When I was there, I was there a couple times, and the first time I went, I can never really figure out when the best tide is to go there. Mm. But the most incredible yeah. thing I found to me, and everybody has their own experience here, which is the part of the fun of this, is there were these massive chunks of tile. Now, Katie, you know, you've lived and you've been to many a pre-war building in New York. There's mm -hmm. always a mosaic tile situation. Yes. <laughs> That's what I'm looking at. And I'm looking at a red and white one and a brown and black one and a black and white one. And I'm just mm -hmm. looking at all of these floor slabs that had been discarded from several demolished buildings from this time period. And it was completely eerie because you think about trash, that's like someone just left it. But in, the, in terms of the landfill, the entire building and all of its contents were it's placed there. in the landfill. So you can piece together an entire building. You could be, piece together someone's entire life through the things they've left behind. Yeah, it's really intense when you put it in those terms because it's that's all that's left. That's, yeah. That is like someone's existence <laughs> and it's just washed up on this shore now. Yeah. It's those, very intense. The, the footfalls from those shoes on, on those tiles, you know, it's really putting all the pieces together. Mm -hmm. Um, when I was there, there were some amazing like beauty products, these like plastic bottles. Oh yeah, of course. A lot of glass bottles, glass bottles of Clorox bleach, um, you know, parquet floor. Uh, Crazy. Linoleum cleaners. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, it's so much detail. And what year were you there? When were you last there? I was there in the pandemic, which I guess was even more, more risky given the current history, which we'll talk about. Yeah. Um, and I was there in 2018 before. Okay. Um, so you've got so, a couple times. Yeah. The first time I was there, it was really just, it was so special because, you know, yeah. you, you hear 
about it, you see all the videos and then actually going, it's a unique experience every time because with every tide, a fresh new of course. museum of shit bubbles up from, from the shore, from the landfill. I mean, I'm sure like historically there, there are people where this is like a regular thing for them that they go all the time. They go all the time. And yeah. there's some, there's some cool interviews with people who are artists and they make things from the found objects. Very and they're, cool. sort, they're sort of at odds with some of the other people who have different thoughts about dead horse bay um so you can see things like roller skates combs eyeglasses there's a metal detector on youtube who found a bunch of guns like oh my god i know like just think about like you know dad's revolver like <laughs> that he forgot in the desk <laughs> oops <laughs> like oh god oh god um <laughs> and this is before the age of plastic you know so everything is glass. right i was just gonna say that mm -hmm. that's one yeah. of the things that's like i guess slightly nicer <laughs> than some of the beach trash we see today is that it's actually at least it's easier to recycle <laughs> right it's glass it's already amongst the sand eventually in the fullness of time all of this will become one sand right sure <laughs> and glass and glass wears down in in kind of a i mean a pretty way yeah no, you're right. And I, and that's the continuing allure. I think it's also people being like so, so fatigued with our plastic disposable society. Yeah, I think so too. And everybody loves bottling. You know, we've all had a bottle moment. If you've been hiking on a trail and you find an old bottle or, you know, um, yeah. it's, it's very fun. Dead Horse Bay contains a record. It's a museum of the lives of everyday people. And it's also a monument to the aggressive restructuring of the city that upended yeah. countless lives. It tells a very sad story. A few, including the poor horses. <laughs> the horses are just the start of it, you know? And yeah. What I think is interesting is, yeah, the whole transportation history of how it's a dead horse bay deposit site, and then it's the highway victims, humans, whose, uh, whose items are discarded in dead horse bay. I had um, never put it all into that context. That's so, you're, you're right. You're totally right. The interpretation, you know? Goddamn. <laughs> And I should say that this site is owned, or actually it's, it's under the care of the National Park Service. That's right. It is a national park. Which is kind of crazy. Yeah. How'd they get their <laughs> hands on that? So the New York's, the New York Park. Why did they get their hands on that? I'm like, if I was superintendent of that Gateway Park and I got that memo, like, oh, you're getting Dead Horse Bay. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> What am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> oh, so you just gave me garbage. Yeah. You just handed me garbage. You gave me historic garbage. Um, <laughs> but, you know, okay, you and I work in museums, and we live in a very interesting time in museums. We are the beneficiaries of the, of the era of social history. Mm-hmm. And we think of social history as getting away from the great men of history, like just not just thinking about the presidents who we still love, but the everyday people who lived through a time period. This morbid museum is so yeah. social historical in the sense that we're dealing with the dregs of society, <laughs> 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 which we might call them, you know. Hundreds yeah. of years ago, but them. Yeah. it's it's all of us, you know. The, the it's it's all of us working together, and you know places like the Tenement Museum preserve mm. the life stories of immigrants in the United States in New York City from the 1880s to the 1920s. The kinds of stuff you're finding 
at yeah. Dead Horse Bay, it would be in a future museum dedicated to 1950s housewifery or 1950s gender roles or 1950s politics or 1950s history of Puerto Ricans in America. These are the kinds of things that we would see on a shelf, beautifully preserved, mm. you know, accessioned into a collection. You know, museums now need to find all of these things when they want to decorate, interpret, present sure. social history in a site. And so you think about it, this Dead Horse Bay site is a massive museum and it's a, a yeah. chronicle of their household possessions. So a little bit about what's going on there now, folks, because Dead Horse Bay is yeah, still- Yeah, you made it sound really, really great. <laughs> is still surprising us with new treasures. So in the 2010s, not too long ago, the National Park Service officially closed off the site because radioactive material was found emanating from the area. Yay! I'm so glad I went. Now All I have right. now I have now I have 17 fingers. Um, <laughs> so I was I've heard about this and I thought, Jesus Christ, what the hell did I do? You know, I took my parents' dog there. Did she lick up some radioactive gamma? Like what happened? Um, Wait, which dog? My parents' dog, Tootsie. Oh, Tootsie? Tootsie went to Dead Horse Bay with her little paws. Oh my God, that sweet little beagle deserves better than that. <laughs> I was like, Tootsie, find the treasure, find the treasure, find the good shit. Daddy doesn't want to work anymore. Find the like, watch. Find treasure, you mean cancer. Find the cult revolver, Tootsie. Um, <laughs> so the culprit of the radioactivity, because I'm like, what the hell was in there? Because it was only the 1950s. We, we, we had just started nuclear energy right. a few years before, you know, come on. So it turns out on the docks of Dead Horse Bay, there used to be these big docks when there were boats coming up. They had these little glowing radio illuminant discs. Ah, damn it. Son of a bitch, why? <laughs> and it's like, and they're put into the dock. The dock is decommissioned. Everybody forgets about it. And then the disc is emitting gamma radiation. Oh, my Lord. So... And so That's many kids. So stupid. That is the stupidest reason for radioactive contamination I've ever heard. Well, it's also like, who the fuck knows what's there? If gamma is there, Seriously. everything, everything is there, you know. And to think about all the kids who have visited for decades, it's a it's a great school yeah, trip. Me. <laughs> <laughs> Poor thing. But you know, it's like asbestos in the school you went to, you know, it's like oh, there's sure. yeah. a lot of these moments. Um so I'm from New York City alone, I, like the, yeah. the, the air pollution. Correct. <laughs> My Correct. whole life. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. I'm no a goner. <laughs> <laughs> so the offensive dock discs have been removed, but it has sparked a larger conversation about an environmental cleanup. Finally, after the, the gamma enters the scene, now we're talking about cleanup. Oh, it's so nice <laughs> to know there's some kind of a line in the sand. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so like I said, Dead Horse Bay is part of the Jamaica Bay unit of the National Recreation Area, the Gateway National Recreation Area. It's a national park. Yeah. So guess what? It is illegal to remove anything from a National Park Service site, including a historic landfill. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so their job now... I used to work for the Park Service for a minute. Their job is to protect America's treasures. Protect. Okay, but here's the thing. <laughs> I know where you're going. <laughs> I know the, you know, one man's trash is another man's treasure thing, but when it's radioactive, I don't think that counts. <laughs> but, like, the park ranger is the friend of the fish and the friend of the ocean. 
So how are they to preserve, be stewards of the land and its resources while also protecting garbage? It's a tough that's a tough one. For the also, National when Park you said Service. fish, I pictured the fish from The Simpsons with all the eyes. Yes. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> he was cute. <laughs> so they're kind of in a, a tough spot because they have to tell people when they're picking, you can't take that. And the pickers, usually artists or collectors, they're like, hey, I'm helping you clean up this friggin' disgusting ass beach. We don't want your help. Yeah. And it's like, go ahead. Trash. Yeah, go ahead. Take your bag of trash. That's going to help. There's only 5,000 more tons under your feet. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, really? Lot. Right. So it's a, it's a land, it's a cleanup job akin to raising the Titanic. Like, it's almost impossible to. Right. It's not to do this it would take an incredible amount of money and machinery really mm -hmm. right some kind of new age like space age like just turn to a comet of trash and just throw it up in the space and hope, <laughs> hope it just burns out <laughs> trash comet totally 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 you know we're gonna have some alien enemies in like 300 years you know just throw oh, that shit sure. at them yeah just throw the shoes and <laughs> tiles Plus, it's radioactive, so you know it's good. Oh, oh no, we're going to get those aliens, but good. <laughs> this is a historical imagination, everybody. Um, so there's this tension. There's this argument between um, pickers, the artists, and those who just want to take shit through teachers. Um, there's a wonderful teacher, Howard Warren who mm. is a big proponent of Dead Horse Bay's history. And you have museologists, people who, you know, cultural sure. arbiters, and the Park Service all trying to figure out what's the best solution here for Dead Horse Bay. And Well, my question, yeah. really quick, is mm -hmm. why are people still allowed to go? That's the thing, Katie. It's not the best policed area so so you um, can even though oh you're yeah post yeah i'm like okay. oh they put they put those new signs in but <laughs> whatever <laughs> the path is still here but i assume they don't still take kids there on field trips anymore because of this i news. don't think so no that yeah. i think has been discontinued okay. i would hope so yeah um, yeah, yeah so they don't really police it because the gateway area and all the all the national park service sites in new york it's a huge system in new york and they only have so many yeah. rangers and yeah. you i'm sure the same rangers who work at floyd bennett also work at dead horse bay and so they're oh, serving okay. they're serving they're serving the visitors of Floyd Bennett, where they have a visitor center and they have programs, and then they're probably like, "Yeah, we'll we'll do a walkthrough at the bay this week." Like, you know, yeah. they're not like police, and they're not the park park system is of course woefully underfunded. Um, right, they're struggling. To yeah, they're not week. cops either. They're not cops. They have yeah. law enforcement. They have law enforcement rangers who can can really mess you up. But <laughs> <laughs> but those guys are too busy with speeding tickets in Grand Canyon. You yeah, know what no, I mean? They're doing, the, they're doing God's work. Those guys. Yeah, and it's like, where, what's the you know what's the incentive? So basically, at one end of the Marine Marine Parkway Bridge, you've got. Floyd Bennett on the left, if you're going to Rockaway, and Dead mm -hmm. Horse Bay on the right. Mm -hmm. Literally, there's a bus stop and a trail. It's easy as day. It is the easiest urbex thing to do. You just follow the trail, follow the the sound of the clinkling glass of the water, and you're at Dead Horse Bay. But I would should we maybe also not recommend going? I would based not on go. Cancer. <laughs> I would not go now. Do not go. It is illegal. It is very dangerous. <laughs> Do not go to Dead Horse Bay. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Do not And if you do cancer. go, we didn't tell you to go. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We are trained professionals. Uh, 
So this guy, Howard Warren, this teacher, is an amazing human. So he's been taking students to Dead Horse Bay for like 25 years. Mm. He has the sole only permission slip from the Park Service to remove stuff from Dead Horse Bay. <gasps> How'd he get that? So with his kitties, they have made some, they, they call it new archaeology. This is at Manhattan's Trinity School. So what he I does with Trinity School, whoa. What he does with his students is they actually were able to date the landfill looking, they found newspapers. Whoa. They found newspapers that were able to be legible. And uh, they have created a gallery in the school that's a museum to Dead Horse Bay. Oh, I love that so much. And that's what really is great about Dead Horse Bay, too, is that, you know, when you work in museums like we do, you're always trying to attract <laughs> teachers to bring their students. And so mm -hmm. Dead Horse Bay is a rare site where you're actually addressing science as well as history in one mm. go. So you yes. can sort of check a bunch of boxes for a field trip that way. And so the fact that the kids are doing that is so amazing. It is. I mean, you know, the discovery and identifying and research and grappling oh, I with love the, it. Grappling with the consequences of this landfill. What an amazing real life lesson that's buried in their backyard they didn't necessarily know about. Right. Um, so this guy, Howard Warren, you know, what an amazing educator and exemplar. So he has that that golden ticket to take out whatever whatever they want but i don't think they've been in back in covid and since the toxic, i was gonna toxicity. say i yeah. feel like it, it it's inadvisable to keep any of that stuff no 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 yeah it's it's a challenge and to say nothing to say nothing of the fact that the wildlife of the rockaway inlet is completely you know imperiled by this belching trash pit that yeah. that keeps just giving up all kinds of different gunk and and trash and radioactivity um, into into the water. So yeah, it's devastating. I have an interesting uh, item here, a, a possible solution from our friends in London. Oh, I thought you, you yourself came up with a solution. No, not me. I, I just I'm I'm <laughs> I am going to tell you about it. I okay. did not I did not think of this. My solution was the trash comet. Let it be known. <laughs> That has my trademark. Um, okay, so get this. Get this, Katie. So you remember when you were talking about... Uh, I'm not ready to finish laughing about the trash comment. <laughs> I'm like, there has to be a Futurama episode that I'm ripping off right now. <laughs> okay, go ahead. That's so stupid. So I love it, though. You remember when we were talking about London Stinks, your episode about the, the Dirty Thames yes. um, and how disgusting it was when the, the waters of the Thames receded yes. and what was left behind. And there was a lot of waste, um, but there was also a lot of stuff, just a lot of like yes, thrown. Yes, there was a lot of stuff. Discarded material. So the they Thames, put everything in there. That's right. Just throw it in the river. Yep. So the Thames um, has a pickers program where they encourage locals to remove items from the banks of the Thames to help beautify the, the area. Lovely. And so they're all they're all legally allowed to be there. So the mudlarkers, the metal detectors, the gun hunters, all allowed to be there. But then they get a monetary incentive if they donate what they picked to a museum. Oh. Perfect. Perfect. I love that. So you've got the crowdsourcing, you know, because I think for a lot of people, it's just the hunt. 
Like you find that green yeah. bottle and it's like, it's a green bottle, but it's like the fact that you like found it and dug it up and like, you know, brush yeah. a little archeologist. So that would be a really interesting solution. Wouldn't it? Yeah. If it wasn't covered in radioactivity. <laughs> yeah. This is pre 2019. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Got to deal with one problem at a time. All right. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So that's one example, but you know, you're, you're hitting a point where, you know, for years, people have been scratching their heads what to do about Dead Horse Bay. Yeah. But as we know, the, there's always a there's, there's a much bigger problem here. And then, yeah, the radioactivity is one of them. And I don't know if that can be addressed completely because there's still a lot of acres of landfill that haven't been touched. Right. Um, so it's hard to say what the future is for Dead Horse Bay. There is no cleanup currently scheduled. That's was going to be my question is, is there a plan in place at all to help even mediate the... I mean, the radioactivity, like, is that, you know, plan to me, it's like, it's like these things that are, you know, American presidents inherit that, you know, it just goes on for administration yeah. administration and no one does anything. And you need some kind of, you know, human ingenuity to solve the problem and a shit ton of money, a lot of resources, a lot of goodwill. Sure. That doesn't help. You can't always get all the things to line up. No. Dead you Horse know? Bay really is a, a good example of just, I'm going to keep kicking that can down the road. Oh my in, God. With very, very bad consequences in this instance. Before the pandemic, Dead Horse Bay would be a wonderful place to explore as an example of a, of an archive and remembrance yeah. of those displaced by urban renewal. But now it's an extremely toxic site and one should not go. And it's a, it's a, it's a lesson in our relationship to the environment. It's a, it's a reminder of the human cost of city life. Often trash is invisible to us. It's put into a bag and it's discarded, but more often than not, it physically goes somewhere else. And we have to reckon with that. And we're reckoning with <laughs> maybe eight or nine years worth of trash that is being belched out of this site, but it's all the more complicated by all the other issues going on. So this is the story of Dead Horse Bay. Seriously, very well crafted, Luke, because you, you've made so many great points and have hearkened back to so many of our episodes, truly, between... Mm. Just, you know, this place sort of began and and ended with sort of tragedy because it begins with it sort of being taken away from the rightful owners, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then it becomes this place where the belongings of people who were the rightful owners of different land. That's right. And it's just this horrible cycle of human, yeah. you know, apathy. Yep. And just industri the worst sides of industrialization. It's, it's truly trashic, if you were. I, I refuse to respond to that. I forgot to mention. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pretend that didn't happen. And I forgot to mention that yeah. Robert Moses also cleared Barren Island of all its inhabitants, too. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> all y'all. <laughs> fuck the rag pickers fuck, <laughs> no, fuck, fuck, fuck the bone sorters you're all going you're all leaving now but so much culture so much human life just like paused deleted erased and yeah. this is an example of that erasure coming back to the, the paper surface here no it's it's devastating and it is unfortunately a big part of the history of urbanization throughout america not just new york you know 
it all comes at a cost. And, you know, as someone who's actually from New York City, mm. it's it's all I've ever known. Sure. Because I'm, you know, I'm 40. So I, I wasn't there <laughs> for the earlier the earlier times. But like, right. It's easy for me to sit here now and be infuriated. Of course. By Robert Moses. But I I have to imagine that it was also exciting and and such a wonderful prospect that you could move further out somewhere or you could easily travel somewhere. So I understand both sides of it. It just, mm -hmm. when it comes down to destroying lives and really hurting the environment, then you gotta, you gotta pause. Thank you so much for telling this story that absolutely needs to be told. And I pray that there comes a day where it is safe again for people to visit. Folks, thank you for joining us at the Morbid Museum Podcast. Please remember to rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can follow us on Instagram at The Morbid Museum for more morbid content. Become a more buddy today. More buddies! We'll see, more buddies forever! <laughs> we'll see you next time for another gallery talk inside The Morbid Museum Podcast. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.